Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce, joined as ever by Christy Doran. Uh, I guess between these uh, these two-week blocks we have in the Rugby Championship, we've got the Springboks and Wallabies this week in Adelaide. An afternoon 3.30 kickoff, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, and the Pumas now in New Zealand uh, checked back uh, across there. Who knows? I think he was on the breakdown last night. I haven't seen it yet, but um, surely a few fun and games to come there. Christy, uh, mate, uh, how was your weekend? I saw you down at uh, Coogee Oval there on Sunday afternoon. Uh, it looked uh, like a nice spot to be. Absolute picture. Difficult to find a car park, particularly when you're running a little bit late, but um, good atmosphere, lots of former Wallabies and rugby identities around there. And had a good chat to Steve Wills, who was you know, in one side of the, probably the kitty corner, I'd say, probably more than anything, because he was, had his hands full. But um, great to watch some rugby and uh, a cracking game, good contest. Ben Donaldson going to the line early and scoring a try. Um, we'll talk a bit more about him later on, but wasn't it so refreshing to see a bunch of either Wallabies players or Super Rugby players playing club rugby across the country? I think it's fantastic. How often do you see it? You don't see it in rugby league. You don't see it in cricket these days, um, or seldom do you. Um, and this should be celebrated, and probably more should be written about the fact that some of the, the better names, some guys on big contracts were out playing where your rugby careers start and where the enjoyment and love of the game starts. I loved it. It was good. Just on uh, Hoylesey, what was the word on the, the Giltinis? <clears throat> oh, there was still a little bit more to play out. I actually didn't touch on that yesterday. We've spoken about it in the past, but look, it looks like Adam Gilchrist is, is selling out of MLR, Major League Rugby, um, and you know there'll be other people that will that will coming in to buy it because there's no doubt that a side like the 08 Giltinis who were only won a, a year ago probably could have won just recently had um, had they been allowed to stay in the competition for a bit longer. Um, so yeah, a little bit more to play out on that one. Well, uh, yeah, we'll watch this space. Not great for American rugby. The uh, the F45 uh, dramas of the last couple of weeks, given uh, Gilchrist's uh, involvement with both the. Giltinis and the Gilgronies, but uh, that's for another day. Uh, mate, just a quick shout out to the players from Molong and Coonabarabin, where I was on Saturday afternoon in Molong in a very chilly, about five or six degrees, I think, when a little bit of sleeting rain came across in the afternoon. Uh, 14 all after 80 minutes, and then 21 all after 100 minutes, 10 minutes each way of extra time. I'll tell you what, it's the best $10 I've spent, plus obviously about $120 in diesel fuel to get up there and back. Uh, but I'm not too worried about that. The $10 Are you talking about the alcoholic consumption that was... No, I didn't actually. It was too cold. I had to borrow one of my mother's uh, gloves too because I didn't have a stubby holder with me. So a shout out to, to Mama Bruce and for my uh, my lovely new Coonabarabin uh, Rugby Club hoodie, which I'm proudly sporting today. So a shout out to those guys going 100 minutes in bush footy. Uh, great atmosphere. Some bloody tough rugby was played and uh, yeah, a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon. All right, mate, uh, let's start. A couple of uh, big talking points really last week for, I guess, an off week, as we said. Um, the Wallabies naming a 35-man squad on Thursday. Uh, the big name, of course, Bernard Foley, uh, had been flagged a couple of weeks prior. I mentioned I'd spoken to him earlier in the year that the, the fire was still there. Um, clearly some some issues at, at number 10 through, through injury. Uh, but I'm not sure we probably saw James O'Connor's axing coming at the same time, that was just a bigger talking point as uh, as Bernard Foley's inclusion. Yeah, you're not wrong. Oh, <clears throat> look, James O'Connor had been under some heat for a little while, and 
undoubtedly his um, role in the number 10 jersey and yeah, his performances probably hadn't quite matched the heights of where he was at at Super Rugby perspective anyway, where, you know, the Reds in, in 2020, 21, very, very strong. Uh, his injury as well, midway through the New Zealand Trans-Tasman crossover. And then once again, an injury which has meant that he's had very little rugby coming into a test season. And there had been there had been pressure on him. And, and you know, his winning percentage in the, wearing the number 10 jersey is 18%. It, it's, it's quite low. It's drastically low. It's understating it to say it's quite low. But, you know, what are the factors? What are the reasons behind why the Wallabies have struggled perhaps when he's been there? And, you know, 2020, clearly a, a complete rebuilding of a side. Um, 2021, he, he really doesn't play until the back half of the rugby championship where he's playing second fiddle to Quade Cooper. And then he suddenly gets catapulted back into the number 10 jersey when Quade, Marika and Samu Karevi don't tour. Look, not having Samu particularly at number 12 was a huge factor because yep. he was such a strong foil for Quade Cooper, a real battering ram, draws in defenders. We've spoken about the importance of Samu Karevi. But look, once again, him not being there, no Quade Cooper for the second test against Argentina. I, look, I think, it's, I think it's really tough that he's not there because it's, and it's brutal, I think. This is a guy who's recently re-signed with Australian rugby through to the World Cup. Um, he is one of the more experienced leaders in a back line, which is struggling for leadership, struggling for experience. We know that Michael Hooper's not around either, so there's a gulf in leadership in the back row. There's players coming in and out of the side, left, right and centre. I, I, think, I think that if you're, if you're thinking about this decision, maybe you... I don't know how you can go from starting 10 to being completely outside the squad when others like, and, and this is no disrespect to a, a Jock Campbell, who I think is a very talented player, but if you're not going to play Jock Campbell, why is he in front of a James O'Connor who is you know, still a, a big person, uh, you know, played 60-odd tests for Australia? I think it's brutal to go, no, this is the time now we're breaking away from, from you, James. Um, I don't mind Bernard Foley coming in. I would have had both. I wouldn't have started James O'Connor uh, against Argentina. I would have had him on the bench behind Noel Alcio. And I still would probably have James in the squad at the moment. It's something I put in my piece for ESPN on Friday, and you've just covered it there. It's, there's been a lot of mixed messages, hasn't there, around number 10 in the last couple of years. It's been hard to follow the the management of, of Noah Lollasio. And I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but to, to leave him behind last year from the spring tour, given what he'd been through through the year and then bring him on, I think he flew out for the, the third test just as cover of memory serves. I'm, I don't think he, he might've got on late against Wales. Was he in the 23 yeah, on the bench? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the mixed messages and the management of, of him, I think has got to be called into question. You raised James there. Uh, barely played through the, the back half of, of Super Rugby. I think he played against the Blues and then maybe was back for the, the Crusaders games there at the finish. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, yeah, you, you fast forward to the England series. He, he's on the bench. He has that horrible cameo in, in Brisbane, uh, gets dumped again and brought in to start um, with a, uh, a 9, 10, 12. He's never played alongside Fichetti. Had Lola Seo been there, at least he would have had the familiarity and the cohesion of playing alongside 
Nick White. So there's been some questionable calls there. Um, now, there's been a, quite the reaction to, to Foley's inclusion. Um, and I guess highlighting this, this golf in where this next generation of player was between your Foley's, your Coopers, your Lee Lafano's, your O'Connor's, to now where we've got Donaldson, Edmed. Um, if you go a little bit further, Carter Gordon, uh, Liner in the future, and, and young um, Rajan Pazitao, some names who are, are going to be you know, coming through in the next few years. But where is this golf in play? Where did they go that should have been, you know, I, in my piece, I think it was, uh, well, now Ben Donaldson is 23, I think, and, and James O'Connor and, and uh, Bernard Foley are both 32, and, of course, Quaid was 33. So where are the, the nine-year players in there? Where have they gone? And was it a mismanagement? Um, were they just not talented enough? Um, these are big questions that need to be answered. You're not wrong. And the, the, the two case studies which I think are really fascinating in this one is, is Jake McIntyre, one, and Mac Mason, number two. And, and Jake was, by all reports... Um, for, the, for the record, Christy, McIntyre, 28, and Mac Mason, 26. Yeah, yeah. So two guys that should be central to where... Australian rugby tens are at the moment, or at least still in the frame. Um, <clears throat> Jake was was regarded as one of the outstanding under twenty prospects, uh, outstanding prospect. So much so that I think it was in what twenty sixteen, he pretty much gets given the number ten jersey um, with Quade's departure, and it's well, you've hardly played a game, but here you go, you're straight into the deep end, sink or swim kind of style. And it only took about a year for that to start to unravel. Um, before you know it, he's gone, he's off. But speaking to people like Alan Gaffney earlier in the year, he thought Jake McIntyre was outstanding. And then for whatever reason, the coaching or the development or the lack of development has meant that he's gone you know, overseas, come back. Maybe he's not necessarily improved from where he was. He's maybe not hit the heights that he might have wanted. I know that he wanted to come back to play for the Wallabies. Clearly, his, his performances didn't warrant that, I don't think. And I think he would accept that too. And and I think also injuries have played a, a role in the, in the last 24 months. But you look at someone like a Mac Mason then, on the other hand, a guy that plays second, third fiddle under Bernard Foley for two, three years, gets a couple of opportunities, really promising start against the Crusaders, and then all of a sudden doesn't get to develop because he's always either on the bench not being played or given two or three minutes or not in the 23 altogether, and then gets given an opportunity when some big-name Waratahs are out, doesn't perform, and instantly the guy can't play and he's off. Look, there's, there was a serious mismanagement. And what I have always hit out at, at a super rugby level, but I think it's a slight concern under the Wallabies at the moment, is that there seems to be very, very little planning. It's always a matter of scraping towards your next victory. How do you get your next win? And does that mean that we leave the first choice player on for, you know, 80 minutes? Or, and, 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 Mac, Mac Mason's development was completely completely stored from, from that kind of philosophy, that kind of mindset that existed at the Waratahs at the time, but is continuing at the Wallabies now. And I think of guys like the fact that Noah Lolaseo can't be on a bench, but has to either start or can't be on a bench. And I think of a Suli Bunavalu, who was brought on over on a, on a huge salary, doesn't play a minute in his first season. In his second season, gets two and two minutes off the bench, basically against England, 
when a, a specialist centre is being chosen on the bench as well, that only gets a handful of minutes himself. Like the logic behind it all, I'm not so sure. When does Tate McDermott get opportunities? This guy's is a real threat. He's been a threat whenever he plays on the field. Oppositions don't like him because he is a threat. You've always got to have eyes on him. But you don't seem to see particular players either get reshuffled because the Wallabies are always looking for their next win. And that's a, another example with Michael Hooper, with how many starts that he's had to, to, to have. I think it's not, uh, it might be 115 starts that he's had in his career. And in like 95 of those, he's gone 80 minutes. Like, there's not enough development and planning, and it's too short sighted a lot of the, the thinking around the next win. How do we see then, excuse me, Bernard Foley's uh, return this week? I, I think, you know, Lola Seo will, will start certainly this week in, in Adelaide and, and you'd hope that he'd get back-to-back games, fitness injury, of course, pending uh, over the next two weeks at, against the South Africans. Um, do we feel Bernie will be on the bench, um, obviously coming in a similar situation to Rory Arnold uh, previously, given he hasn't played uh, since the, the semifinals? of the Japanese uh, League One, which I think was was what, late late May, um, early to late May, yeah. Late May, yeah. Um, so I think was was May 22, I think it was, against the, uh, Robbie Dean's Panasonic. Um, and was only, I think he played eight games for the season, not as many. He had a, an injury when I spoke to him, I think a little bit of a hamstring issue uh, mid-year, so he shook that off, but I think he missed about, uh, you know, three or four games there for a while. Um, as you say, the, the, the management is interesting. Uh, the decision is interesting. Um, but I guess now, given Quaid's injury, uh, you know, we know he'll be doing everything to get back from his Achilles. Um, but suddenly you've got to think, you know, Bernie's right back in the mix for a World Cup, given that, um, you know, Quaid, as we said, um, injury concerns. Uh, JOC is, you know, you'd probably say well out of form at the moment, um, has a fairly strong, uh, fairly long injury history himself. Um, so suddenly, you know, Bernard Foley enters the mix of, you know, a spot of being a, a chance in that wider 32, I think it's a 31-man World Cup squad. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that squad might be slightly extended for next year because of concussions. And now the, <clears throat> the real welfare around it and not rushing players back, I think there might be one or two additions for next year's tournament. But you're right, um, Ben Foley's right back in the frame. Look, I, I think that a, a perfect scenario here is, I think it would be too much of a push to learn all the detail around and, and, and Dave, Rennie's, um, Dave Rennie's plan, uh, his strategy, from my understanding, is quite complex. And Quade, a guy that's played his whole life in the driver's seat at number 10, it comes natural to him. He's... he's People, speaking to people like Stephen Larkin recently, we loved coaching Quade Cooper and loved having Quade Cooper in it because of his understanding of the role. And I think that's one of the real reasons why Dave Rennie loves him. And from my understanding, James hasn't necessarily, um, he's not quite across some of the detail that Dave wants, um, which is, I think, quite interesting. And, and one Wallaby told me that recently. Um Look, I think Bernard Foley can play 20, 30 minutes next week in the, in the second test. I think you bring him on the bench. I don't think you need to necessarily throw this guy in the deep end. You see what he's like for 20, 30 minutes against South Africa, and it gives you a much greater understanding of what's next. So when you come up against New Zealand, are you just throwing him in the deep end if Noah has two poor games? 
no, I think you need to have, you know, I would almost be considering him for this first test. Um, it depends how quickly he comes in. He's another guy that's played so much 10, um, has played alongside Nick White in the past. So he, he's someone who will be able to be upskilled and get on the same page quicker than most, I, I think. A couple of names before we finish up uh, on the Wallabies squad, uh, 35 players, as I said. Uh, 36 joining yesterday uh, in Ben Donaldson. I also saw Kirtley Bill up there having a round of golf, I think, with Andrew Kellaway. Um, uh, flying one in from about 120 and apparently had a putt for birdie. So I hope you rolled that one in, KB. Um, but Ben Donaldson called up on Sunday as a development player, uh, which uh, Dave had, had flagged in his uh, squad presser on Thursday around, um, you know, trying to bring him up to speed. And as you say, get him across, you know, these, this, what is a, is a complex Wallabies framework, game plan, attacking structure. Uh, and the other one, uh, Lenny Gleeson, uh, probably, uh, you know, I'd have to say a hell of a rise this season uh, on the fringes of the Waratahs, had a few games on the bench, started in that uh, strong win against the Highlanders, Highlanders sorry, in Dunedin, I'll get that one out, and, uh, and looked really good, a couple of strong runs. Uh, he's had big wraps on him coming out of the shoot shield in the last couple of seasons. Um, kind of joins what is a, a fairly swollen back row ranks at the moment, but um, uh, must have really impressed with, with Australia A and the Pacific Nations Cup as well. Yeah, and, and I think also that's maybe one of the reasons why Ben Donaldson's there in front of Tane to begin with, Tate Edward, because <clears throat> Tane didn't have a great first up showing in the number 10 jersey. Ben comes in and does all right for the next couple of games. Um, it was a nice try that he set up with some, some taking the ball to the line and getting it to his winger, his Waratahs winger, Dylan Peach, who was also on show on display yesterday for Randwick. Um Oh, but Langley Gleeson is a really exciting profile, isn't he? He's a guy that's so explosive through the line. And his name had done some whispers recently. Um, I wasn't shocked that he was in there. I was pleasantly surprised. I spoke to the Waratahs media manager a couple of days earlier. I said, oh, you never know. Like, he's, he's someone that's come on and he's a big, big player who's of the future. So... The number six jersey is still something where I think it's not quite there. I think Jed Holloway's got a big opportunity over this next month. I'd expect that he'll probably start against South Africa. Um, the height, the muscle is going to be important. Important, yeah. But it comes down to nailing your opportunities. And these next two weeks are so important, particularly when you've got a guy like Lanny Gleeson. We know that Dave Rennie likes to pick on training form as well. He really values it highly. Um, but this is a, a big moment for him because he's a, um, for, for Dave Rennie, because a couple of people have told me in recent times he's not a great selector. Um, and now it's important to get your, get your selections right because I actually still think that, as crazy as it might seem, there's still actually depth in, this, in the Australian rugby ecosystem. There's still two positions deep at times. Um, but it's about making sure that you right, make the right selection at the right time that's going to work with the continuity, that's going to work with the tactics. So really important. I think the fullback decision is a massive one this weekend. You know, Andrew Kellaway's hardly played. Obviously, he hasn't played since England, the first test. That's a long time out of action. But we know that he's a guy that is a safe pair of hands. He's proven as a fullback there's still a lot of people that would like to see him stay on the wing because they think he's so talented and so good there why, why move him when he's doing so well 
But uh, look, the fullback position, a big one. 10 position, a big one. Hunter Price Army will probably start at, at 12. But the right wing is a big one. Does Jordan Bataille get another opportunity? Does Suli Bonavalo get ever an opportunity? Um, Alan Alatoa, you imagine, comes back in at, at, at tight head. Um, is Angus Bell fit? It's a big load to come in against South Africa first up. Does he need another week? Um, Scotty CEO could be an option there with, with James Slipper if you're going to give Angus one more week. So there are decisions to be made, but, you know, the names that just float off the tongue there, there's good enough test players to go that this Wallaby side in 12 months' time don't write them off, but they need to get some momentum because momentum, as we saw with South Africa in 2018, is so important to kind of start to get the wheels in motion and have the learn to be able to win back-to-back weeks. And that's what was so important about uh, regarding last year's rugby championship. But we need to see that again soon, don't we? And this is where it started for them last year, isn't it? I mean, clearly they played the All Blacks first in the Bledisloe series before the rugby championship began. But it was at this point after this, these opening two weeks of the rugby championship, uh, if you like, where the Wallabies went on that five-match winning run. Of course, different circumstances being that the games were, were played in in Queensland, and then they went on and beat Japan in, in Oita um, for, for their fifth. And then the debacle of the uh, the ghetto law happened, and that was kind of all she wrote for the year. Um, but it is a big opportunity. Do you expect to see this week um, a 6-2 split on the bench, or do you think it'll be more traditional in a, in a 5-3? Yeah, look, it also comes down to a, a philosophical belief of where you see Reese Hodge, I think. Reese Hodge is both a, a real luxury, but at times when you're trying to learn more about other players, does it actually hamper the development of other players? Is Reese Hodge a, a, a match-winning 10 or a match-winning fullback? I'm not sure. Um, I would like to see a 5-3 split because I think it would allow more opportunities to a few players that you need to learn more about. And, and I would have liked to have seen that a couple of weeks ago um, against Argentina. I don't see Reese Hodge being able to take a Wallaby side through to a World Cup and win a World Cup in the number 10 jersey. I think you need to find out more about other 10s. You need to find more about outside backs. And by having Reese plug as many holes as that he does, and he, he, he fills a role, fills a job, but is, is there a ceiling that's higher from another player? And that's the question that I'd be asking. Um, what, what would you do in that situation? I think you're right. I think at the moment, Reese is, is that perfect bench player when you have got an option like Noah uh, to start this week. And I'm sure we will see that happen, uh, that Reese can cover, as we've discussed previously, virtually 10 through to, through to 15. So then you, you're left with a halfback and, you know, probably uh, one other position and outside back. Now, I, I'm with you. I think, you know, why not throw Suliasi Vinavalu in this week for a start? on the right wing. Um, we know the aerial assault is coming from the spring box. Uh, and then you have a, you have a Tom Wright um, potentially on the bench and, you know, your fullback, I'd probably be putting Andrew Kellaway back in. So there's options there and I'm sure it will be, uh, you know, a vigorously debated selection meeting this week. And it'll be interesting to see what team does land on, on Thursday. And you've got to remember that these, the Wallabies have a, a really good record against South Africa in Australia, but the games are always, very close. You know, they're always yeah. in the balance in that final 10 minutes. Um, they only kicked away in Brisbane to that really probably their best win of, of 2021 late on last year with a couple of tries to Corumbete 
So, yeah, this is going to be an even contest no matter what team runs out. And I, interestingly, you know, Jacques Ninova getting a little bit of heat for his selections in the Republic as well, given the loss of the All Blacks in the second test and bringing in a third place, sorry, a third string hooker to start ahead of Malcolm Marks rather than putting Malcolm Marks into the starting team after withdrawal of Bongi Monganami. Um, so he's copying a little bit of heat as well. There's a, there's a lot going on ahead of this uh, this kickoff on Saturday afternoon. You're not wrong. And look, it's going to be a special occasion because the first test in Adelaide, I think, in 18 years, which is great. There's, you know, it, it brings you back to a, a real nostalgic period when things perhaps were better in Australian rugby. Um, but look, before moving off the selection, I, I think it's really important to highlight that Nala Lucio is going to be coming back in who's now been dropped for the last two tests, missed selection after guiding the Wallabies through against England in pretty kind of unfortunate and unusual circumstances, Quade Cooper dropping out, of course, in, in the warm-up. You, I don't think... I think tens need to grow. They need to be developed. Um, and I, I, would, I would hate for him, his card, to be marked further if he doesn't have a great test because there was one Wallaby an experienced former Wallaby who called me a few days ago and was pretty surprised and sh- shocked with how Noah had been dealt with and said that as a nine, if, if some of the language that he was hearing from a Dave Rennie who's saying that Noah Lolosio is going to be an outstanding player, an excellent international player in the future, but you're picking him and they're not picking him, that is a whole heap of Confusing. stuff that you don't want to be hearing. And now it's, it's time to kind of, back the guy in for a while and and because there's got to be so much head noise there. He's a confident young fella, but he's had a, a really difficult introduction to, to the number 10 jersey over the last three years. And you know what? It probably highlights what the earlier part of this discussion was about how the Wallabies have struggled developing 10s because it's a perfect case right now with Noah being in and out, in and out, in and out. So... Good luck to him if he wears the 10 jersey. The fullback selection will be interesting because we know how closely those guys unite um, uh, in the modern era in terms of the second playmaker at times there at the 15. So that'll be interesting. And the the other probably interesting thing that we haven't touched on just yet, um, Sam, is the departure of Matt Taylor, but the introduction of, of Lord Laurie Fisher. So... Look, dramatic over the last couple of days. Personally, I think it's great to see Laurie Fisher. He's a guy that so deserves an opportunity. It's incredible to think that he hasn't been given an opportunity uh, for more than one or two special appearances at training sessions over the years. I think it's an outstanding appointment and one of the best made by Rugby Australia in, in recent years. Yeah, on an interim basis through the Rugby Championship, a talk that this will be uh, with a look to um, having a, a dual role in, you know, a la previous with Stephen Larkham and I guess Dan McKellar last or even this year and, and last year before he joined the Wallabies full-timer ahead of England. So, yeah, as you say, a guy with such um, grounding and stock in the Australian game. He's been at the Brumbies for, you know, the best part of 20 years now. Um, had a stint over at Gloucester as head coach. Um, a guy with really renowned, um, you know, strengths at the set piece, at the mall. Um, and a guru, really, a forward play. So uh, he's going to be a great addition. As you say, probably overdue and surprising that it's taken this long for it to happen. Um, he obviously teams up with with Dan McKellar again as well. So those guys, um, you know, have clearly have had that time together over the past few years, and, and that can only benefit, you know, other guys in the Australian squad as well, you would think. So, yeah, Matt Taylor, obviously, 
uh, by mutual agreements, uh, it's been flagged as, uh, but certainly that, uh, that heavy defeat in, in Argentina. And if you look back, there have been some others along the way, particularly against New Zealand, where the Wallabies uh, have opened up like a, like a colander and, and holes everywhere. So, um, yeah, not surprising, but I guess uh, interesting timing. Interesting timing, yeah. And look, if you're going to make a decision, it's 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 now really because you can't leave it too much later or, or longer. I think, Laurie, the other aspect that I like about his appointment is he's a no-frills kind of operator and he knows his base. He doesn't want to be a head coach these days. He likes being an assistant coach. He's got a really well-rounded understanding of the game. And, you know, he's he, you, you only have to see him on Twitter after every game. You know, win or lose, he fronts and he says that wasn't good enough from the Brumbies tonight. You know, he says, you know, there's some some issues with the Wallabies. This is, you know, it's not all bad. Um, I think he'll bring a sense of confidence to it. We know that there's a heavy Brumbies contingent, which, by the way, I don't think is a bad thing. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, this is, and Eddie Jones pointed to this factor a couple of months ago going, look, um, Australians and fans in Queensland and fans in New South Wales, they don't like necessarily seeing huge amounts of Brumbies players in there. They don't like necessarily seeing the um, the differences in, in selection. Look, Dan McKellar's and Brumbies are, are strongly in this Wallabies squad because they've been the most consistent side in Australia for a long time. And they became, well, they came very, very close to making the final Super Rugby. Should have been in the final. Should have been in the final by beating the Blues at Eden Park. Now, that's the thing that very rarely happens. And so, anyway, I think it's a, it's a good selection. There'll probably be a bit more around Matt Taylor in the months to come, or perhaps there's not. But could he could he end up at the Queensland Reds at some point or maybe in 2024? Those rumours have been around for a long time. A guy called Brad Davis at London Irish currently is heavily linked to that Queensland defence role, which has been left open by Michael Todd. Um, by his departure to Glasgow. So he's a former rugby league man from the 90s that played his whole career in England, um, but, but well-respected. And, and there's obviously been quite a few players that have played at London Irish from Australia recently. So there's a bit of a connection there too. Plenty happening uh, at the Wallabies, uh, both from a playing side and on the coaching team. If you like this podcast and you're a fan of the AFL and AFLW, then you'll love the ESPN Footy Podcast, delivering insight and analysis with the help of champion data. Get it wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, mate, before we finish up this week, uh, well, I guess we better talk briefly around Ian Foster getting the backing because that also happened last week across the ditch. Uh, We discussed the bizarre Sunday press conference. At that stage, you had the feeling that it was curtains for Fozzie. And then, you know, Wednesday afternoon, it came out that he was there. He fronted the media alongside uh, Mark Robinson and the chairman, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, but I must admit, Stuart, thank you, Stuart Mitchell. Uh, I, I was surprised. I thought the the clock, the bells had tolled for, for Fozzie. Um, it's a bold call, as we also mentioned last week. Basically, the All Blacks have, have backed him in on what seems to be a groundswell of, of player support and 12 minutes of, of really good rugby to, to close out that match against the Springboks when they were a man down with Bowden Barrett's yellow carding there for, for 10 of those as well. Um, going into what is a, is a gentler run to finish their year, they haven't got the toughest of spring tours. We know they've got the Pumas uh, back-to-back home games now. 
Um, although I'm sure Czech will get the, the Argentinians up for this one, this first one in particular. Um, how did you see it? And, and I guess now, at least they've they put it behind him. They backed him the 2023, uh, of course, until they don't back him. But uh, it's a big call. Um, the right one in your mind? It, it kind of made me laugh and sorry to bring politics into it, but it was a bit like when Scott Morrison was with Malcolm Turnbull and, you know, put the arm around there and said, you know, I'm... There was a little bit about that, I think. Um, oh, look, it, it will be really difficult for the All Blacks to, to emotionally get up for this next game, I think, off, the, off what was clearly a really emotional second game in Ellis Park, and they always are there, aren't they, But in, in, in Joburg. But to be able to back it up now is quite important. Um, to because the, these noises will continue unless they start to get on a, on a winning run. Uh, it starts against an Ar Argentina and it absolutely continues against Australia and, and that's what they would be hoping for. Um, that'll be a cracking game at Marvel Stadium, I think it is, against uh, the Wallabies coming up pretty quickly in about a month or so. Um, but um, yeah, look, I'm not... Terribly surprised. I'm not surprised that Joe Schmidt has come more embedded in the squad. And I think that was the change that was most likely, that it, clearly they were torn and there was some, some pulling and from various different levers there. Um, but, but Joe Schmidt coming in will be fascinating to see what he can do. You know, he's a guy that's got great detail. Um, does he help with the, the selection even more that he's got such a hands-on role? I, th I think that was probably the obvious obvious selection. Now, what happens with Scott Robert, Scott Razor Robertson, and, and I suspect he'll probably go to England. I think he'll join Eddie Jones at some point next year, as a in the same way that that Eddie Jones joined um, uh, formally in two thousand and seven um, ahead of the South African World Cup charge. So I think that that's a, a really strong possibility. That, that's a big call, mate, because he would seem to be. Uh, a fate complete that he would take over in 2024, regardless of what happens at the World Cup. I mean, Fozzie will have been there as an assistant through Steve Hansen for a long while into a head coach. Now, or do, you, do, do you feel he's been burnt by this decision or this succession of, of not snubbing, clearly snubbed for the role after the 2019 World Cup, but not having come in now? I know he voiced his, his uh, desire to coach two nations to a World Cup. So, so you're, you're saying that you think there's more chance he takes over as England rather than All Blacks, say, from 2024? No, no, no. I think he comes in next year in 2023 and he joins Eddie Jones along the way to the World Cup. And then who, who knows? Okay. I, I think there's a strong chance because Eddie, Eddie will want that. He's got good relationships with those at England rugby already. Um, my understanding is that they've, they've met um, in the lead up to the third test in Sydney. I think that's a strong chance um, of, of occurring. And, um, you know, Australia was never really in the ballpark to be able to offer him to come in. And I'm sure he would have been a great addition when, when Matt Taylor leaves. Um, but, but I think he, he, he clearly was told previously that you don't have enough international coaching record. What an experience to go to a World Cup with Eddie Jones, who's been to how many? It'd be one, two. It'd be, this would be his fourth Four. World Cup yeah, that he's going to. So... Um, yeah, I can see that happening and I think it would be a great appointment. I think it could be probably the signing of 2023. Yes, plenty to play out there in the uh, coming 
months. Uh, intriguing storyline to watch, particularly uh, next year, you would think. Uh, all right, mate, let's um, wrap this week up. Uh, a quick uh, cover off of the Wallaroos and Black Ferns, the O'Reilly series, the first test in Christchurch. Uh, not a great result for Australia, clearly 52-5. The Black Ferns ran out winners. Um, look, uh, probably not totally unexpected, but I guess from where uh, it was only, I think, about 25, 24-10 maybe in that Pacific Nations Cup from earlier in the year. Uh, and then the, the Wallaroos lost to both the US and Canada only by narrow margins. This would look like a, a step back. Um, there's a bit going on with this Wallaroos squad uh, after being dumped from captaincy earlier in the year. Grace Hamilton didn't even make the side last week, the 23. Um, look, there's uh, clearly... It's going to be a challenging World Cup for them, you would think. They get another crack at the Black Ferns this Saturday in the doubleheader with the, the Wallabies and, and Springboks at the Adelaide Oval. So home crowd this week, and I'm sure they will improve from that defeat on the weekend. But I, I guess this shows just how far potentially off the pace uh, the Wallaroos girls are, are going to be in New Zealand. Yeah, and, and, and quite possibly. But look, I don't think it's uh, an Australian side going across the ditch and being handsomely beaten by New Zealand opposition. We've seen it before, for sure. Seen it before. I Look, the, the whole Grace Hamilton fallout there, there's much more to play up there. And I think um, your colleague, Britt Mitchell, will be across that. But um, it's 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 unsettling because it's so close to a World Cup camp. Oh, I've got to admit, I'm a bit surprised that there hasn't been one or two extra players from the Sevens program jump across. Um, we talk about it at times about how, and, and the Sevens program will talk about how strong it is. Look, I know that they've just come off a, a Com Games gold medal, but you can't tell me that one or two of those players couldn't help. Um, they, they all play rugby. They're so technically proficient in the game. We saw the likes of Charlotte Kaslik about how unbelievably talented she is. Um, phenomenal player and if you're drawing up a list of top 25 rugby players in the country Charlotte Kazlik's in the top three and um, I, I would have loved to have seen her there because she would she would have added a lot in terms of experience but not only that just her all-around court game presence and attacking threat her skills would be three times better than anyone there um we know that Shannon Parry is there at the moment. Um, Mahala Murphy is, is there too. So there's players that have come through the system, through the seven system. I just think one or two more could actually help, could have helped with some of these finer details because clearly it's missing. And we saw that, though, during that Pacific Nations Cup. I know it was wet, but Australia had so much ball in the first half an hour and they really couldn't do anything with it. And, and it was to me obvious that they needed a centre that was going to um, be able to, to run against the, the grain there, have a playmaker who can run to the line that's quick, that's more experienced, perhaps a slightly bigger body. Um, they've got some issues, but there's some time to come before the World Cup. There is, and it obviously continues this Saturday. I guess you, you mentioned a couple of names there that have moved from the Sevens program into the 15s. But we've also seen a number of uh, girls from the wider seven squad finish up in, in the NRLW. And clearly, Emma Tonegato um, went uh, last season, before last season's NRLW, went on to be the Dally M Women's Player of the Year, came out yesterday and, and just picked up where she left off for the Dragons against the Titans, I think it was, in, in Wollongong, uh, scored a try, set up another, basically just, just brained it. So it kind of feels that this is where, and we know Rugby Australia went all in on sevens for the women back uh, under the Bill Pulver 
days, really. He declared that, that sevens was going to change the game for Australia. And, and certainly, you know, that's probably has for, for the women's side of things. But now it's got to be how do we turn what he said, wonderful women's sevens program into, okay, maybe after you've done that for, let's say, one Olympics or two Olympic cycles, that, that then you're getting some, some girls who will play a bit of 15s in between. But then they say, hang on, I want to go to a, a Women's Rugby World Cup as well and, and how do we make that an easier transition rather than than leading uh sorry losing a few or more than a few girls to to nrlw where there is you know money to be made and we know the wallaroos girls barely get anything at all um it's that's got to be and you know it does come back to money clearly how do we make that an attractive proposition yeah. for them because i think if you you take the professionalism um clearly it's a it's a probably one of the best one of the premier sporting programs in australia the women's rugby sevens no doubt about that how do we then create such a, a carrot that is the the 15s program the wallaroos uh, and make the world cup say just as big as a as an olympic sevens campaign for women yeah oh look you know no, it's it's the same issue that the men are facing to a, a slightly lesser degree because they are still getting paid handsomely in many cases, but you know there's four or five, five, five super rugby sides, um, and there's only a certain amount of money to go. And you, and you look at the sevens, you get the, the best 15, 20 women there in the country, and across different sports, they come in here, they supercharge the program, and they come out. And Charlotte Haslog is the end product. Um, it's it's difficult to do that when you've then got 140, 150 players across programs that are not getting paid a, a huge amount. Oh, look, the women are hosting the World Cup. Shay is hosting the Women's World Cup in, in 2029. So it's something that they're clearly going to be building for. Um, and you hope that if, if they're there now, that in every year you see development, but it comes back to that planning, doesn't it? And look, I know that Figureheads like Hamish McLennan are adamant that the women's game is important, that it needs to be addressed and also needs to be remunerated properly too. So I don't think it's being forgotten about, but it's about when does, you know, things like private equity come in, how much money gets allocated towards the women's program um, and how do you then target particular players and potentially particular players from that sevens program because even a Shani Williams at the moment I think would add a huge amount in that centre role for for the Wallaroos she was there I think at the last World Cup in, in Ireland I think it was um, and you could just see the class that they provided um, and you don't necessarily want players parachuted from everywhere nor does that necessarily always work but I think on this occasion a couple of extra players that have been around the game for so long would certainly help. Yeah, certainly uh, looking for a bit of improvement uh, this week, uh, heading to Adelaide from the Wallaroos. So good luck to, to all involved. And uh, yes, uh, just going to be a fantastic afternoon at, at the Adelaide Oval. So if uh, you're thinking about heading down over there in South Australia or, you know, equally taking a, a long weekend, perhaps uh, tagging in a few uh, bottles of, uh, of McLaren Vale uh, Cab Sav or, uh, you know, the Coonawarra. Um, why not, Christy? I think that's on your agenda, isn't it? I don't know how much wine tasting I'm going to be having, but, yeah, heading down Thursday morning. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, look, historic game. I haven't been to the Adelaide Oval, so it will be great to get there. And um, an unusual one, given my love of cricket too, to be going there for a rugby match. But big opportunity time to start to step up and I'm really intrigued around the selection makeup. So 
lots at stake and um and and you know it's it's now 12 months before this world cup squad's going to be named so every test is is so so important i think there's about nine left this year um what there'll be about five next year before the world cup starts so i think it's about 14 tests really to go so you know you if you're a fringe wallaby um now on ever and that was one of the takeaways from Barrett Barnes that 12 months is a long time to to go before a world cup a lot can happen injuries can happen a, a strong campaign in super rugby we saw it with me he scudder in 2015 you can come from nowhere but you're now going to be putting your best foot forward that's for sure yeah Geordie Pattaya in uh 2019 with the Wallabies as well yeah. the big bolt out there went on to be just about the best player in that heavy quarterfinal defeat to England. All right, mate, uh, that's about enough for today. We've probably gone a little bit longer than intended, but uh, shows there's always plenty to talk about. Uh, enjoy your trip to Adelaide and, uh, yeah, look forward to speaking in the wash-up on Sunday. See you, Sam. Thanks.